This and the next few episodes were recorded before the coronavirus outbreak, which is why they don't reference it or refer to it at all. We hope these conversations can provide at least a temporary break from the day's news. For now, stay safe, stay healthy, and enjoy the show. I would have been more decisive uh, in the early days about my own career path and mm-hmm. career trajectory. Uh, even though I don't think we lost any time, I certainly got more gray hairs in the process of uh, worrying about what was best for my career or what was going to make me um, make me happiest. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you just got to follow your gut. Uh, and my gut was telling me, go and build a business. Yeah. You, will, you will love life as an entrepreneur. And I tried to suppress that because I was a little bit scared of it and I was yeah. fearful of it. So overcoming that fear took several years. Uh, so looking back on it, if I could overcome that fear from day one, that would definitely be beneficial to me. Every business, whether or not they realize it, is an idea business. The people at Gray have a long history of creating famously effective ideas. And so, with Gray Matter, we explore the ideas shaping our world. We ask creative minds from all corners of life how they came up with their best ideas. And that's what matters for Gray Matter. On this episode of Gray Matter, we'll find out how creativity found its way into science when two doctors invented a new weight loss method that was unlike anything on the market. Hi, I'm John Patrols, Worldwide Chief Creative Officer at Gray. And this week's idea is the innovative weight loss company, Alorian Technologies. We'll speak with one of their co-founders, Dr. Shantanu Gar, or Shan, as he's called by his friends, and we'll learn how they invented the world's only gastric balloon for weight loss while still in medical school. Our interviewer is Gray's Joey Scarillo, who talks with Shan about his failures and setbacks common in the medical device sector, and the advice his father gave him that ultimately led him to launch the company. Founded in 2009, Alorian Technologies creates experiences that are more effective than diet and exercise, but safer, cheaper, and more frictionless, as they say, than weight loss surgery. In 2016, they gained approval in Europe for the world's only weight loss balloon that can be administered by a doctor in just 15 minutes. This is Dr. Shantanu Gar. So I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a town called Bethel Park, and went to high school there. Went to Harvard College and studied biology and chemistry (laughs) and uh, thought I was going to become a physician and practice medicine. So stayed at Harvard for medical school, was lucky enough to be accepted there, and actually started out in the MD-PhD program. So it was a, a lot of schooling ahead of me, eight to 10 years on average. And in my first year of medical school, uh, decided that really it was the MD that got me more excited than the research. And at that point, uh, I teamed up with one of my classmates to start Alurion. And we were learning about the obesity epidemic. And it's the, the greatest epidemic of our times. There's 2 billion people around the world who are overweight. Here in the United States, there's 70 million adults uh, who are obese. And even things like childhood and adolescent obesity is spiraling out of control around the globe. And what struck us as medical students was that obesity impacts every aspect of our healthcare system, and it impacts every uh, organ system in the body. It leads to diabetes, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, infertility. It's now correlated to 13 different types of cancers. And so it was everywhere, wherever we looked as medical students. And then when you look at the available therapies that are out there for weight loss, be it Jenny Craig or Weight Watchers, so commercial weight loss programs or medical weight loss programs, 
all the way to weight loss surgery, none of them were really pleasing consumers. Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers is great, but you don't lose much weight. And weight loss surgery is quite invasive, can be lethal, very expensive, not very scalable. And so Allurion was really founded to develop weight loss experiences that consumers love, that were scalable, that are frictionless, easy and convenient, and experiences that not just a specialized physician, but really any physician, any healthcare practitioner in the world can deliver. Is the Ellipse the, the marquee product? That's right. It's, yeah. it's, it's our flagship product. And the company really started uh, around that product because what we learned, even as medical students, was that people were trying to put things inside the stomach for a very long time. Uh, people were trying to surgically put things inside the stomach, do it via something called endoscopy, where you go under and have a camera put down into your stomach. But at the end of the day, consumers really didn't like any sort of procedures. And so we set out to create a device that was procedureless. And we learned about this class of products called balloons. It, essentially, if you put a, a big water balloon inside someone's stomach, it helps them feel full and it causes weight loss. The problem was, can you get it inside the stomach without a procedure? And can you get it out of the stomach without a procedure? So the ellipse balloon was designed to be swallowed in a capsule in a 15 minute office visit. You can stay in your street clothes. There's no anesthesia required. We like to say it can be done on a lunch break. And once the capsule is swallowed, it goes down into the stomach. It's filled through a very thin tube. The balloon then uh, is filled to about half a liter, uh, so about two and a half cups of water worth of liquid. And the tube is removed just by pulling it out through the mouth. So 15 minutes start to finish, and you're left with a very sizable balloon inside your stomach. Hmm. Then we had to figure out how to get rid of it. And so what we developed was a, a special material uh, that sat inside the balloon that degrades over four months. And once that material fully degrades, there's a valve in the balloon that opens up, the balloon empties out, and it passes out of the body. And so that's how we were able to create a product that doesn't require any procedures for placement or for removal. And that's what we mean by frictionless. Right. So so the balloon and that concept has existed. And your challenge, you and your team, your challenge was how do we get it in and how do we get it out? That's right. What was what were some of the inspirations that you took on to to, you know, kind of put all these pieces together? Where did that inspiration come from? Yeah, it was um it was not a linear path by yeah. any means. It was There were a lot of failures. There were a lot of false starts along the way. I'd say initially we, we had enough um, background in polymer chemistry, just from our undergrad days, that we knew that there were materials out there that could be placed inside the stomach and potentially swell. So the original concept didn't have a tube in it. It didn't have anything inside of it. Uh, it was just a capsule with a balloon inside and the balloon was designed to sort of swell on its own, sort of like a diaper would swell uh, yeah. when it gets wet and increase in volume. And there were hundreds, we tried hundreds of polymers um, that were designed to swell at low pH, so acidic environments like the stomach, and none of them worked. Uh, none of them worked inside animal stomachs and we presume that none of them would work inside a human stomach. And what we sort of realize is that everyone's stomach is different depending on what you've eaten that day, depending on if you're taking medications or not, depending on your underlying biology. Yeah. Everyone's stomach was different. So if we were to rely on something to swell inside someone's stomach, it would swell to different volumes at different rates, no matter whose stomach it's in. And so we eventually got rid 
of that concept and said, let's fill this balloon directly through a tube. That way we control what gets into our balloon. We control exactly how much volumes in our balloon. And then the challenge was, can we design a tube that was flexible and soft enough that someone could swallow yeah. uh, along with the capsule? And so that took a lot of engineering. And once we figured that out, the next challenge was, how do you get a balloon made from such thin film, thin enough that it can fit inside a capsule to actually last in the stomach for four months? Because right. the stomach's a very harsh environment. There's a lot of acid and salt and the food that you eat, it's constantly churning and moving. And so this thin material that we chose had to withstand that environment for at least four months. Um, and so that took a lot of engineering and a lot, yeah. of, a lot of time. I would, yeah, I would imagine so. I sort of getting a peek behind the curtain at how creativity finds its way into science. Is there anything for you, like in in finding those creative solutions? Is it is it just trial and error? Is it is there research involved? Yeah, I, I'd say it goes in phases. So, for me personally, what I like to do is try to understand the problem as much myself as possible. Mm -hmm. And so, our first laboratory was actually in my apartment in Harvard Square. And at that point, we were still working with polymers, and so. All of these polymers are, are basically white powders. And so in my bedroom, I had a, a lab bench that was just covered with white powder and vials and things. And this was around the time I believe that Breaking Bad was uh, <laughs> becoming popular. And so uh, my landlord uh, did a does routine inspections of the units. And he came in one day and said, what exactly are you doing here? <laughs> and I told him, look, I'm a medical student. I'm working on this, this new project. It's really exciting. I told him what we were trying to do, and he, he calmed down. But that was my attempt at really doing the work myself, mm -hmm. understanding what works and what doesn't, and seeing it with my own eyes. And then you inevitably run into roadblocks, at which point it's time to really talk to the experts. And so yeah. we sought out you know, Harvard faculty members. We sought out people um, who we've uh, gotten to know who are in industry, who are outside of, of universities, who had worked with a lot of these materials in the past. And we just spoke to whomever was willing to listen. Yeah. And we got smart. In fact, one of the lessons was we probably should have done that earlier. Uh, because yeah. it would have guided a whole lot more of what we did hands-on. Mm -hmm. And then I say the third phase is once you gather all that information, once you get the experts to opine, then you actually start prototyping and doing the engineering work. And that's where the creativity really comes in because the best laid plans often just get completely disrupted yeah. by science. And so uh, things work great on paper, but when you actually put them in practice, they break down. And that's when you need a really creative team who can problem solve and think on their feet. And at the same time, fix the problem, but don't just put a Band-Aid over it. Fix it in a manner that it's going to still be able to scale as a product going into millions of right. people around the world. Right. How long from the idea, like it hits you, we need to find a solution for the balloon to get it in and out, and the first prototype. Mm -hmm. Like how, how long were those phases, um, like months, years, like what are we talking about? Yeah, so we started the business in 2009, and that's when we had solidified the problem that we want to solve. And then it took us uh, around one year hmm. to get a prototype that would work on the bench. Uh, so this was not in an animal stomach, just literally dropping it in a beaker and seeing what happens. Yeah. And at that point, we were able to film some videos of our balloon concept going into a beaker and swelling and filling mm -hmm. up. We were able to actually uh, work with one of our faculty members who had a side gig where 
uh, in his basement. It was a bit odd. In his basement, he would have, uh, he had harvested GI tracts from pigs and cows and all sorts of stuff. And he would use that to train uh, people on endoscopy. Yeah. But we were able to use a, uh, a harvested pig GI tract and film a video of our balloon swelling inside That's of it. It's a good thing he had that side project. That's right. Exactly right. <laughs> and so we were, we were able to film that and then raise our first round of money. And so that was in 2011. So two years it took to get a prototype that we thought could work uh, and then raise some money around it. Mm -hmm. And then we went into a real animal study and everything failed. Um, and we had to go back to the drawing board. In 2012, uh, we added the tube, we got rid of those swelling polymers, and we got to a point where we had something that was working reliably in pigs. Yeah. And then, funnily enough, um, the pig is the best model for human uh, obesity. Huh. Uh, and so we then graduated from pigs to human beings. And in 2013, we did our first human clinical trial. So it was four years from the time that we founded the business till we actually entered into a real human being. Wow. So I would imagine with that comes a lot of nerves and <laughs> maybe a little fear, but also a lot of courage. So what could you say about the courage it took to get you there? It was a very nerve wracking time because remember, we were also going through medical school at the right. same time. And we had this thing that started as a side project, then became a company and then became something that could really scale. And so the most nerve wracking thing was what were we going to do with our careers? What, what was going to be next when we graduated? Because medicine is one of those fields where once you're on the path, it's really tough to get off and it's really tough to get back on. You go to medical school, you do your residency, you do your fellowship, and then you start practicing. It's a long path too, so you yeah. don't want to divert uh, if you don't have to. And so it was strange. While we were in medical school, we didn't worry too much about the business because we always knew if the business failed, we would become physicians. But then it came a point in 2013 when we were graduating. I had taken a year off in medical school to work at the business full-time. Sammy actually went ahead and graduated in 2012. And we both had to make a decision. It was either we apply for residency or go whole hog into building this business. And that was where the angst came from. Mm -hmm. and that's where the anxiety came from. Uh, and so I, I talked to a lot of people about this, but the best advice I got was from my dad. And uh, he's a mathematician mm -hmm. and he's very analytical. And he said, look, if you become a physician, you'll have a very fulfilling career. Um, it's a very noble profession, and you're going to change a lot of lives. You'll impact maybe 100,000 or 200,000 people in your career, which is amazing. If you go and build a successful business that scales in weight loss, you could change the lives of billions of people. You could also change the lives of no one because companies fail all the time and uh, they lose funding and things don't work. And so it's up to you. Do you want a slightly more stable path, still very rewarding, or do you want to take a little bit more risk and maximize your impact? It's up to you. That, those are your two decisions. But he said, what I don't want you to do is say no to building a business because you're afraid that if you go and build a business and it fails, you'll be out of a job because you're, you've got two Harvard degrees to your name, you'd be an idiot if you couldn't find a job. And so when you put it like that, 
it, it was it was very easy. And he's an immigrant in his own right. He took right. a lot of risk coming to the U.S. So to him, it's sort of second nature to take a little bit of risk for more impact. Yeah. But when he put it like that, the decision was clear. It's like, why wouldn't I take the risk and build something that potentially could change the world? Wow. So, of course, your family. It sounds like your dad is a huge supporter. To get Elorion off the ground and, and, and where it is today, I mean, who are some other supporters of the idea of the company? Just some people who, you know, really were in your corner the whole time. A lot of our, obviously, you know, my immediate family, Sammy's immediate family, they were our first investors yeah. and, uh, and biggest supporters. Um, a lot of our classmates uh, at, at medical school were really rooting for us to be successful. They saw us, you know, take conference calls and, you know, the middle of rounds and um, do all sorts of crazy things while we were students. Uh, a lot of our faculty members uh, at Harvard uh, were early investors in us, uh, became advisors to us. Uh, one of the very first faculty members we approached, uh, his name was Dr. Ram Chitani. Um, a world-renowned expert in gastroenterology and um, someone who's developed a lot of medical devices in his own career. Uh, he's now our chief medical officer. Oh, so wow. we were able to bring him over to the dark side, so to speak, uh, <laughs> to come and work at Allurion. And so there, there have been so many people along the way, uh, including our early investors, uh, our early advisors, um, obviously family and friends, who continue to believe in us today. Yeah. Uh, and of course, there, there were, uh, there are a fair share of doubters and critics uh, yeah. as well. What, what, uh, maybe without naming any names, uh, who, what could you say about about the critics? Well, this is a really tough space. You yeah. know, if if someone had created a silver bullet for weight loss by now, we wouldn't have the obesity epidemic. Uh, people would be fit and trim and very healthy no matter where you go in the world. And so there have been a lot of attempts at uh, cracking this nut, and a lot of people have failed. And I'd say some of the most vociferous people um, who told us it wasn't worth it were the people who themselves had failed uh, at bringing something to market. Mm -hmm. uh, and I understand it, it, it will scar you uh, if you have tried and tried and tried and spent an entire career and failed to bring something to market that has changed people's lives. So that was definitely a, a loud crowd. Um, Rightfully so, a lot of investors we spoke to in the early days said no. You know, they said, first of all, you guys are crazy. This is a really tough space. You're medical students. What business do you have running a company? Um, and the idea you have is is cool, but it's cool on paper. We need to see real hard data before we really believe in you. Right. And the beauty of building a business is uh, every day you get closer and closer to making your dream a reality. And every day you pick up more and more supporters who believe in you because uh, there's the early folks uh, who just believe in you your, and your drive and your vision. But then there, there are you know hundreds of people along the way who end up believing in not just you, but the business and the technology mm -hmm. and the unmet need. And that's very rewarding to see. Yeah. What does complete success look like for the idea? Complete success would be when anyone anywhere in the world realizes that they need help losing weight or that they're struggling to realize their full potential, that they, the first brand, the first company, the first product portfolio that they think of is Allurion. Mm -hmm. you know, we want to be the trusted global weight loss solutions provider for the 2 billion people around the world who are overweight. Yeah. That is what success looks like. Now, that's a lofty goal. Two yeah. billion people are a lot of people. Uh, that'll take time. It'll take a lot of hard work and continued entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and innovation. But 
you know, why else start a business? Why else would you start a business if you didn't have a lofty goal and ambition? Of course, in every entrepreneur's journey and any creator's journey, there are failures. Are there any that sort of stand out you found were like a turning point that you'd want to talk about? Yeah, I'd say one of the, the biggest failures that we had as a business was not not building the sort of structure and formality early enough. Mm. Uh, we were very scrappy. We liked to bootstrap whatever we could, but we did a lot of work that we weren't experts in. And we did a lot of things backwards and slowly and not efficiently because we had no training. We weren't R&D engineers. We weren't quality system experts. We weren't manufacturing experts. And one of the things we should have done was bring a lot of that expertise in-house earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should have built a board of directors a little bit earlier um, to bring in and surround the company with more experienced operators, people who had been there and done that. Yeah. Uh, we, Sammy and I naturally were more of a scientific bent, more of an engineering bent, um, more self-critical uh, than an entrepreneur who comes from a sales and marketing background. And we've learned over the course of the past 10 years that you can build a great product, but they necessarily will not not come, right? Mm-hmm. If you build it, they necessarily will not come. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as a result, I think we probably could have put more of a sales and marketing hat on earlier, mm-hmm. uh, been a little bit more self-promotional and sold the vision more strongly. Mm-hmm. Uh, as young entrepreneurs, I think we got caught up in the details a little bit and lost sight of the big picture at times. You probably bring a little bit of different set of skills to to the company. Uh, you start adding people. You start hopefully adding the right people. And you, of course, you wish you'd bring them in sooner. What are some of the things that you brought to the table? What are some of the things your partner brought to the table? What were some of the holes that you found you needed filled quickly? Yeah, so you know, Sammy and I bring a lot of uh, skill, different skill sets to the table. Uh, we realized at the at the get go that neither one of us was truly a medical device engineer. And mm. so one of our first hires was an R&D engineer who had led uh, engineering departments at previous medical device companies and knew how to go about medical device development in a very systematic way that mm-hmm. would also be compliant. And that was hire number two, a head of quality, someone who could build out a quality system so that every everything that we did in terms of development was properly documented, followed certain regulations so that when it came time to get our product approved in Europe, which happened in 2016, whenever those European uh, notified bodies came to audit us, our paperwork, our systems, our compliance structure was set. That's critical in our field because you can do a lot of great work and not be able to take credit for any of it if it's not properly documented and Mm -hmm. compliant. And then I would say our third uh, major set of hires were in sales and marketing. Uh, we were uh, we were medical students. We had the vision, had the drive, had the grit. Uh, but it takes a special type of person to to take all of that and package it into a great sales pitch uh, that could then you know we could use with physicians to book our first orders. So I think that's a pretty typical playbook for a lot of healthcare mm-hmm. companies. You focus on the product first, you love the product, you nurture it, you grow it, you make sure that it gets to the right po- 
point from an approval standpoint and then you got to start loving your customers uh, and selling to them and marketing to them uh, and then the cycle sort of shifts back because uh, you constantly have to innovate and disrupt and make sure that you stay ahead of whatever innovation may be out there that could supersede you right right so where along the way and how did you come up with uh the name for Alurion and then also for the ellipse yeah so Alurion was a uh an interest that's an interesting story so sammy my co-founder mm-hmm. he started dating a girl in medical school who was parisian and they fell in love and he moved to paris after he graduated from medical school, he still lives there today. And they ended up getting married. And so uh, when we were, the original name of the company was SGL Medical for Shantanu Gore and Samuel Levy. And we it got to a point where we needed something that said a little bit more about the product. Right. And so we asked Sammy's wife to give us a root or a word that would mean um, beautiful, healthy, uh, uh, something that said something about wellness, looking good, feeling good. And she said, well, the root allure uh, means the same thing in a lot of different European languages. And it certainly means the same thing in English, which is, you know, alluring, something that is uh, that looks nice and looks pretty, but also has some connotations about being fit and well and healthy. Uh, and so we wanted to give the company a little bit of a scientific bent. Mm-hmm. And so we added the ION uh, to Allure to make it Allurion. So that yeah. was um, how the company sort of came to be. Talk a little bit about, you, you mentioned it's not available in the U.S. yet. Uh, what is the process for it to become available in the U.S.? Yeah, so in 2016, we got uh, approval uh, for the product in Europe, uh, throughout the European Union. And that allowed us to launch in you know, close to 20, 25 countries. We've since expanded to the Middle East. We've expanded to Latin America. We have now expanded into Asia Pacific as well. Uh, and obesity is everywhere. No matter where you go, there's an epidemic. And so uh, we are building a, a thriving global business, doubling our business every year, having treated now over 15,000 people and growing. In the United States, we have to go through the FDA approval process. Mm-hmm. And so that that required a US clinical trial, uh, fairly large, 400 patients, uh, which is now wrapped up. Uh, it required uh, a lot of um, benchtop testing, a lot of uh, making sure our manufacturing processes were up to snuff. And they all are because we're shipping product to Europe, uh, but there is just a whole different set of regulations for the United States. So that takes time. So we we anticipate being approved in the United States in 2020, uh, but that's a full four years after we got approved in Europe, and that's just because um, there is uh, there is just there are more requirements here in the United States for a medical device company of, of our stature. Mm-hmm. Huh. So you're running a Lorian, and what sort of inspires you on like a day to day basis? You know, what what keeps you coming back? It's, it's the impact that we're having in the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, we get stories on a, a weekly basis, daily basis of people who have lost life-changing amounts of weight. And it's interesting when you actually sit down and, and talk to people who have lost a lot of weight from, for whatever, uh, by whatever product or through whatever experience. When you sit down and talk to them, they tell you about all of the, the stories that that weight loss has unlocked. So we hear a lot about people being able to chase after their kids in the park. We hear a lot about people not 
being embarrassed or anxious when they board an airplane. We hear about people who had difficulty conceiving. You know, obesity is one of the leading causes of infertility around the world. And when they received our product and lost weight, they were able to get pregnant and to have a healthy baby. Mm -hmm. Those sorts of stories are our fuel. You know, that's what keeps us going because like any business, it's tough. There are hurdles. Sometimes it's tedious. Um, there's setbacks uh, periodically. But when you return to those people and you see the impact that you have in their life and you see them posing in front of cameras for the first time because yeah. they were afraid of being in a family photo, that sort of stuff just sticks with you. And we have a, a little exhibit in our office in our kitchen where we just have uh, stories uh, with a photo attached um, from people from all over the world uh, who have now uh, received our product, gone through the program, and their lives have changed. Yeah, That's what keeps us going. Uh, and I just got an email yesterday from one of them uh, who uh, was running into some problems at, at work. You know, they, they felt that they were being overlooked for a promotion, um, not being treated with as much respect uh, as they should, which is a common problem. There's a lot of stigma yeah. against obesity, a lot of stigma against um, people who are struggling to lose weight. Uh, and they lost 15 kilograms, 30 pounds over four months, and they got promoted. That's uh, awesome. And so, you know, those sorts of stories um, are are what keep us going. Um, and those are the sorts of stories that any healthcare entrepreneur, I think, resonates with. Joey, that was fascinating. So after people use the product, what happens? Well, usually the weight stays off for several months and uh, it, and it like trains your brain to curb your eating habits. Um, Shan told us the story about a guy in Italy who gets the balloon treatment done every year before the holidays. So that way it sort of curbs the seasonal weight gain and then... Um, sort of weans off of it after the holidays. I think it's kind of cool to see that repeat customer um, and can't wait to see what happens here in the U.S. So if people can use this as a preventative, it isn't mm -hmm. maybe something you're already in a place. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, all right, so how can people learn more about Alorion Technologies? Well, you can visit Alorion.com uh, to learn more and get updates on the U.S. launch. All right, great. Thanks, Joey. That does it for us. If you'd like to hear how other creators, founders, and inventors thought up their ideas, be sure to subscribe to Gray Matter wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to rate and review, but more importantly, tell a friend. The more folks that listen, the more these ideas will spread. And if you like what we're doing, let us know. We love hearing from you. Follow Gray's social pages for more information about Gray and upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening. Gray Matter is hosted by John Petrulis. Produced by Joey Scarillo and John Dillon. Mixed by Guy Rosemarin at Townhouse Studios. Additional support from David Canavan, Christina Hyde, Grace McDougall, Andy Yancho, John Bicknell, Lydia Dizon, Abigail Hofflinger, and Ryan Cunningham. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.